0: When we stress, we regress. We're going to mention briefly that the recording of this episode is taking place uh, during the COVID experience, but you may be listening to this episode at a much uh, a later date. And I want you to understand that what this man and I are talking about is not directly related to the COVID experience. However, more people going through what they're going through are going to be be able to relate to what this doctor is talking about. What if you could run your family in crisis the same way you run a business in crisis? When I start working with families, one of the things that I ask them, I says, what's your family mission statement? And see, as a business, you're supposed to have a business plan and a marketing strategy. And you can do a one-page business plan. And just answering the questions automatically show you that you need at least five pages to discuss what your business is. Same with a marketing strategy. You can start with a one-page set of ideas. But at the end, you're going to have a budget and an action plan and delegation duties. What if you do a family system the same way you do a business system? What if there's strength in that? When I coach parents and I talk to them about the family behavior contract, and that's different from a child behavior contract because I promise you, if you sit down to do a behavior contract with your child, it's just a new set of rules and consequences that you're telling your child is going to be taking place. But when it's a family contract, when the parents have to make damage admission and say, here's what I've been doing wrong that's, that's caused us to end up here and here are my changes that I'm gonna make. Here are the rewards if I make them and here are the consequences if I don't. The children are likely to play along. How is that any different than a business and your employees? If you're running the show, parents, and that's what we get a lot when parents call Fire Mountain and they say, my, my kid runs the household. That's like letting one of your employees run your business and it happens you're forgiven this this you it can the power structure can slip the hierarchy can crumble if the foundations aren't in place what are the foundations to business a plan an execution strategy marketing structure mission vision value statements people who skip the foundational steps of business are flying by the seat of their pants they're launching a rocket that they're building on the way to the moon I have personal experience with that and it's taken a long time to recreate the foundation of the business so that I'm not just slapping a new coat of paint on the problems and say look it's new. It's not. You got to go to the basement and fix the cracks and it's no different than a family I have Dr. Rayo with me. Dr. Rayo is a, a clinical psychologist formerly a, a pediatric psychologist he's worked uh, at Harvard Medical as as an instructor and he was part of Boston's Children's Hospital and he and and Paul Napper have written a book about a year ago called the Power of Agency So Dr. Rayo is the co-author of the Power of Agency and let's talk about running our families. The way we would run a successful business now it's gonna sound cold at times so let's establish we're all doing this because we love what we do and it gets hard to do what we love to do when there's problems and am i talking about business or am i talking about family the answer is yes welcome to this week's episode of beyond risk and back i'm your host. I'm your coast. I am coasting. I am the coasting host, Aaron Huey. And my guest today is Dr. Rayo. Dr. Rayo, thank you so much for being with our families on Beyond Risk and Back. Welcome.
1: Aaron, thank you so much. I just want to sit back and listen to you. I'm I'm learning a a tremendous amount already. Uh, It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Thanks. I
0: appreciate that. Thank you so much. So let's start with the nuts and bolts of your foundation. How did you end up where you are or... Better yet, if you don't mind me digging and letting my parents see a little into your life, what happened to you when you were as a kid that made you get into psychology to try to help other people with their problems?
1: (laughs) Well, that's such a great question. Nobody leads off with that. No, let's uh, go deep. I will tell you, though, um, I have always been a sort of a quieter, shyer type of kid, the kind of kid that you could drop off, you know, at a museum for hours. And then I would just entertain myself, Um, always an astute observer, always, always interested and watching, you know, particularly how do things work? And then that, as I got older, through middle school, became really about how, you know, what makes people do what they do, right? Um, and I remember back in seventh and eighth grade, teachers would often say things like, "Tony, you you sound like you're like a psychologist every time you answer that question about in English or social studies, or you're always taking the other view or wondering about the larger societal issues going on," and that just sort of stuck with me. And um, I, I kind of got really into it into high school, and as soon as I hit college, I, I just I knew right then and there, and double majored in child study and psychology, experimental psych at Tufts University, never looked back, just, just went right straight through. And I, and I don't regret it for, for one moment. A lot of it really is this, this incredible thirst and interest in why we do what we do. It's interesting
0: because we talked about a minute ago, you went now and
1: now I find out you're the shy little kid in the museum
0: too. just the other day, speaking to 1400 people in, in a business about the power of agency and both you and the, the other author. And did I say, is it Napper or Napper? That's correct. Napper, Napper, Paul Napper, you know, he's got the business psychology side and you've got the human psychology side. What is the power of agency about?
1: Uh, We came across this idea of agency. Now it's a word that people are hearing more and more about. And at first people didn't understand it. Is this an ad agency? (laughs) But (laughs) now at this point, we're hearing it bubble up. A lot of people in education have been using it. People in the psychotherapy space have been using it. It actually goes back well before 50s and 60s there've been psychologists, sociologists, even philosophers talking about it. Uh, It really is agency. Are you an agent of yourself? Do you have control? Do you take charge? Do you keep a clear head? Do you maintain all your faculties so that when it comes time to make a good decision, can you deliberate? Can you use the best you have in order to arrive at the best decisions? I mean, think about it. All the decisions you make each day through the week, months, years of your life, they actually define who we are and they'll put us on certain paths or not. So it's, we found this to be an incredibly powerful concept that nobody had taken, distilled, and figured out what, how does it work. Now, Paul has all this background in working with senior managers, top leaders, globally. I work a lot with families and educational space. And and we were thinking, could we interview and mine those types of ways of thinking and behaving that we see successfully, that then bring that down? And we came up with seven principles, strategies, if you will, that allow people to have what we're calling agency. We're the first to put it into something that can be measured. We have a simple measure. You can go online at powerofagency.com and you can take one of our subtests to get an example. It's in the front of the book as well to be able to see where are we, how much agency, what are the practices that are out there that am I using them to the best of my ability? We find that today everyone is so anxious, let alone when we got hit with what's been happening recently with the pandemic, that people have lost their agency. The more anxious we are, the more stressed we are in our families, the less agency we have, the less control we have in our lives.
0: I, I know that parents are l- listened to Beyond Risk and Back because they're afraid of that loss of control, that clarity that they once had when their child was saying, you know, yes, mother, yes, father, and everything was going on. And then all of a sudden, a new set of friends, a new set of clothes, a new, new kind of music. You don't really like this music. And then you say something, the kid rolls their eyes at you, and you they literally get stair-stepped down until suddenly you've discovered they've been cutting or they They have, you find the journal and there's suicide ideation in there, or there's drugs in the house. And you're just like, when did I lose agency? When did I lose control? So I want to, I definitely want to talk about the seven principles of, of agency regaining agency, but is there a process that you guys have been able to identify of losing it that these
1: parents can go, yep. That's what happened at home. Absolutely. The more that we lose our confidence, we don't believe in ourselves, the more that we don't take on the practices that build agency. Are we keeping a clear mind? Are we hanging around and associating with people that support us, value us? Can we get to information that's accurate? Can we move our bodies and demonstrate to our kids what healthiness is? You know, these are just some of the principles that if we're not engaging in them, Your kids won't be engaging them. These are the things that either promote health and happiness, low anxiety, higher confidence, or allow anxiety to spread, which it does societally in between us a lot. The higher the anxiety, what ends up happening is we lose contact with our critical thinking skills. If you think about it, we know a lot about the frontal cortex, we talk about it all the time. Executive functions, right? It's that part right up here, right? Right just below, right above your eyebrows, right there. One fourth thick outer layer of that part of your brain is what we have, this miraculous gift from the gods, from evolution, that uh, allows us to think moment to moment, think ahead, reflect on the past, make moment to moment decisions. In children, it takes many, many, many years to develop. It'll be a real frustration.
0: And let me ask about that because now the research is saying, you know, girls 25 years old, the prefrontal cortex is fully developed and boys... 40. Like, like the reason the re, every year it's like, it was 28 and now it's 35. And now, and I've seen things as late as 40. So it what we get told those things and we giggle about boys delay in development and stuff like that. But, but my, my question is if we have parents and I had really good parents, my mom and dad were, were, they were they just modeled things very well they they did a really good job now my dad wasn't my father. my father had effed off long before that and was a, a alcoholic died from alcoholism but despite the modeling that took place, something happened within my development and I had little T trauma and then when I was eighteen, I had a big T trauma and then you know that's where my drug use really started to take place. But there's also the developmental piece. What is it about a child's development that is looking at mom who's going to yoga class three days a week and she's eating very healthful, healthy and she's got an active spiritual life and this wonderful friends network, but her daughter is cutting and depressed and suicidal and we don't know, we've lost, already felt like that loss of control Can we just chalk this up as there's a developmental piece that this girl's got to separate from mom, or do we have to look for a big T or little
1: T trauma? I think that we, in this country, overplay development in the sense of we keep keep delaying it more and more and more and more. If you go to other countries, even if you just turn the clock back 20, 30, 40, 50 years— You realize that by around 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, kids are pretty sophisticated and they can start to do some critical thinking and they could navigate more freely in the real world. Sure, there were some dangers. There still are. But we find that they are so hovered over, coddled or the delay in having real life experiences where they truly learn and own it or they go through hard times and they build some resilience that's missing. Yeah. And when that's missing, no matter how great a parent and good person you are, the likelihood, the statistical likelihood of bad things happening to your kid just goes up tremendously as soon as you turn your back.
0: And we talk about turning our back. And I appreciate that term because we, the, the moment our kid is on the internet alone, whether or not you're in the same room, your back's turned. And this is, this is something that that we've really missed what they can see in a moment on the internet can undo. One of the things that people have forgotten is like, despite the fact that we have access to information, visual, audio, like the the influx of influence has surpassed the speed of which our development has been able to caught up. We are still developing as people the same way we did a hundred years ago, but our brains are supposed to be handling imagery that it's not quite capable of. So that turning the back moment, I think is important. Let's start to jump in because we've even talked about, I love this business, the business of family, because if we lose contact with the executive function, that's essentially like the executive director not showing up to the company anymore. And so who, who makes the decisions if the executive function is not what's going on with us
1: and what is the common denominator of all good leaders? They're calm. Their posture is sort of upright. Their head is up. Their eye contact is good their voice is steady the intonations aren't you know with inflections of worry or anxiety or doubt they're not fake either they 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 have they've honed in these skills and they bring it into the situation and you can go into a meeting where people are frenetic because we're having this experience now sure talking to large groups of people you know a 1, thousand 1400 and and we're trying to communicate calm when we kind of walk these companies and their employees through how to how to manage yourself better. So we do this and we and we and we get them and their leaders to do this more and more and you can just you can just hear the collective anxiety begin to drop. Yeah. Because again, we are herd creatures and we look toward others in a hierarchy to figure out well who's in charge. So if you are struggling as a as a parent or if you are finding that you have anxiety, that means that your house has anxiety. It's one of the most contagious emotions we have. Strong emotions are all contagious. We all look to each other. We pick it up in our facial expressions, in our body language, in all of the things I've mentioned. Your house is probably contaminated with anxiety. In fact, the society is contaminated with anxiety. For the last 30, 40, 50 years, they've been tracking anxiety. It just keeps going up and up and up in the United States. So I would really let people know that the first thing is I want you to be the leader in your house. That doesn't mean being dictatorial. It doesn't mean just saying, you know, my way or highway. That's not what a good leader does. A good leader listens. A good leader pauses. A good leader is open to everybody's viewpoints before making decisions. Um, A leader encourages the development of the people that work for her or him.
0: We are so inundated and overwhelmed with divisive negative uh, information and energy. You cannot turn with that, and and despite your, despite anybody's politics on both sides, we are seeing news that feels more like views. It's the nightly views. It's not necessarily the nightly news anymore. I, you and I were talking at the very beginning. We know the darkness sells, and so much of marketing is based on you know, resurrecting the pain body very quickly and then offering a solution. But but before you can offer a solution of this laundry detergent, I got to make you feel the pain of using the wrong one. Your clothes are going to get clean, they're going to still smell, and your marriage is going to suffer, and you'll be alone and probably die. Like, and, then, and that's soap. Like, like imagine what we're doing with this. So how is it that we, how do we, and I love it, again, because we've brought in that other business term of management, that personal management. Right like there are Different aspects of my own being, my mental, my physical, my spiritual, my emotional, my financial. And I gotta manage those energies. So I have to have this internal manager. And then there there's has to be an executive overseeing the, these managers that's calling the shots, that's remaining calm and everything. But if 90% of the energy, the the, the collective nervous system that I'm taking is is anxious, depressed, and divided, how do I outmanage? The influence, the the infection rather than affecting, the infecting of the world that's going on around me, especially during a pandemic.
1: Aaron, you've really put your finger on something, which is what gets into your brain from all the information out there, these are unprecedented times in terms of the volume and types of content that are entering everybody's brains every day. I mean, you've heard some of these statistics before. By the time your head hits the pillow, you would've had about 5,000 advertisements pitched at you one way or another. They would've at least gone through your visual field or you would've heard them. And maybe some estimate that, you know, prior to maybe the turn of the last century, today we're getting more information that we have to digest or at least coming into our brain more than a full lifetime in that other era. So when you look at this and it keeps increasing, and as you said, the darker cells, The more emotional I can message something, the more likely your primitive systems will go, whoa, 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 do I need that? Is this something I need right now? And you'll block out everything else that's important. And it's a manipulation technique to keep you on your device or on the television set longer and longer. That's how money's made. It's made through revenue from how many people are there and for how long. So the very first principle we have in the book is called control stimuli. Let's go back to leaders. The first thing that leaders do is they keep a clear mind. They, they have a calm mind. You can't lead. You can't control your emotions. You can't think clearly. You can't deliberate and make good decisions. That means agency. Unless your mind is clear. And what you put in your mind, much like the food that you put into your body, shouldn't be junk. Yeah, crap in, crap out. Absolutely. Crap in and crap out. Absolutely. So we walk people through with some stories and some practices on just start there. And you'd be shocked. Now, people have heard things like, you know, turn off the phone, walk away from the system. Yes, most of it is digital, but there's other types of stimulation too. During sheltering in place, for example, a lot of people are in like confined spaces. Um, You know, there are roommates that are driving each other crazy. There are newlyweds that are ready to divorce. It's it's, it's really stress. Um, I'm seeing that more and more in my practices. I'm doing teleconferencing with different, you know, folks. In fact, I'm going to see a family a little later today. And, And just the stress, like the things we all have just come up to the surface. So finding a spot for yourself that feels safe and quiet, learning how to move your brain. Well, look, you've got legs. (laughs) Get yourself over to spaces that are quieter. And when you do, sadly, you're not gonna feel great right away. You're gonna think I'm bored. (laughs) You know what? This sucks. This isn't great. And, And what that is is your brain just isn't yet used to being in a quiet spot. It's been so sadly conditioned to hyper, hyper, hyper stimulation that when you sort of bring it down a couple of gears, People's, your kids are going to start saying, I'm bored, I'm bored, I'm bored. That is the gateway to something really beautiful, which is creativity and deeper thought. Just just have to hang in there. Your brain will adjust. Otherwise, the more that we put into our brain, the less disk space it has available to actually do deeper thinking. And we're a little bit just like Pavlovian animals, just like on a stimulus constantly.
0: I, God forbid I ever told my mom I was bored. I found myself outside with nothing to do. But an hour later, I was doing something and it was creatively based. And it was an expression of something that wasn't unlocked, that that was locked up with stimulus. It wasn't until I had emptiness and that discomfort that creativity emerged.
1: Uh, I I love that uh, idea of, listen, you're bored, go outside. Go outside. Because uh, our third principle we call move, and a lot of it is about physical movement or moving your body in all ways, particularly in natural or outdoor spaces. If you think of it, when we're on a screen, we're mostly just getting stimulated through one of our five senses, our eyes. Maybe a little auditory is thrown in there too. That's it. So the brain is starving, even though it's being overstimulated. Right. As soon as you move about into the world, you are stimulating all sorts of internal, external sensory abilities to, to pull all this information. And in. that's why you go outside for a little bit. You, you do relax, you calm down. It's the the environment in which the brain evolved. It's the one that actually makes the most sense for it. We're not supposed to be indoors as much as we have become in more modern times. We're not supposed to be as sedentary. We're supposed to move in three dimensions, touch, reach, smell, taste. You can do that all just walking through a little forested area, you'll get it all.
0: So we went, number one was control stimuli, number three was move, what's number two?
1: Number two, one of my favorites, associate selectively. The people we keep company with, they affect a lot of things. They affect the behaviors we're going to end up doing. They affect how we think and the beliefs we have. And they're going to affect our moods, powerfully so. Again, we're herd animals. So we're always registering all of the behaviors and facial expressions and tones of voice and also words that people tell us. If you happen to be around people who are more happy, you tend to have a contagious effect of feeling a little bit better. I mean, you've, you've had this when people are at the stadium and doing the wave or or people are spontaneously clapping right. or at a comedy club, the contagion of laughter, dance, all that, or singing. You just feel like you want to join in. We are wired. We have something called mirror neurons. And we talk about it briefly in the book because it's really, really fun. And we talked to a senior neurobiologist, for example, at the Salk Institute about this. It just really like blew me away to think that we're wired this way. We're wired this way. Because we are herd creatures, much like horses on the plains, if something spooks one, the rest want to know. If one in the flock of birds wants to go a certain direction, maybe it knows something. School of fish, same thing. We, we do follow each other. Sadly, though, with negativity, we pick up lots and lots and lots of it. And it's we get such it even a, online. you get it online, too.
0: Yeah, and it's such a powerful stimulus. The moment the World Health Organization was like, oh, crap. Everybody was like, what, what? And our safety was gone. If they panic, how could we not? Right. And then we've got, you know, politicians and and health professionals all saying different things. And then, then you start to get the influences of the people that you know, like, and trust who are saying, actually, if you just do a bunch of vitamins in this yoga posture, it's all going to be good. And the truth is, is that no one knew and spiritual leaders are dying and, you know, and, and if the safety, if one horse's eyes go wide and white, you can bet that everyone around it's going to startle and that ripple
1: effect is like a rock in a pond. Yeah, that's right. And you're actually bringing us into the fourth principle oh, nicely. perfectly. Yeah. I'm the master of transitions. <laughs> yeah. Wow, this is good. <laughs> it's called position yourself as a learner. So which horse, if you will, do we look toward? In other words, I don't let any horse lead me. I don't let any bird right? In the flock or fish in the school, pull me off. So being open-minded, being a lifelong learner, this is all while you're keeping calm, allows you to use your critical thinking skills, right? And say, I have certain people that I look to certain sources. They won't always have all the answers, but over time, they have been the most reliable. There are others that entertain me. There are others that allow me to express my political views, they're, you know, it's almost like watching a gladiatorial, you know, combat. Um, but those are not the places to get information when it comes to, say, your biology or medicine. We go to the drier researchers. We go right. to the medical sites, you know. We go to Mayo Clinic or Harvard Med or whatever makes sense. And, we, and it's not easy. And here's the trick. To really be a lifelong learner, you got to get yourself to a quiet space, relaxed and take a little time. That way you'll be able to say, oh, you know what? I'm starting now to get it. I'm starting to realize that I do have time to look <laughs> at whether or not that thing makes sense or not. I can do two or three clicks in to see if it even makes sense. I don't have to take the first thing that comes up on Google. <laughs> <laughs> right? I, 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 can, I can just slow it down. But if you're, if you're already from, from stimulation speeding you up yeah. and you're not thinking clearly because you're anxious and your frontal cortex isn't cooperating, it's taking a nap, you, you end up not, doing the work to get yourself to a calmer place to be able to make your own decisions. You're,
0: you know, that. You're, we're, we're literally talking about like, like you, you have a cough, so you go to WebMD and next thing you know, you're self-diagnosed with MS cancer aids and you're like, I'm gonna die. And literally it was just a cough, but that's just the sign. If you have the capacity to step back into the executive Position. Like the manager is going to say, let's do some research. Let's let's let, let's let's do market research. You got a cough. Let's do some market research here. And if you can't get to that executive function, that that employee is just gonna run them up with, I'm gonna die. I've got a cough. And that's that fear-based thing again. So it's it's <laughs> that's what I was laughing. It was like that position of a learner. If we're if we if we don't control the the stimulus.
1: If our body's not moving, we're you can't skip steps. No, and it's up to us. You know, the thing about agency is I won't kid you, it's not simple, right? You, I, you none of this is.
0: I've not I've not ever talked to an well, expert. Yeah. Yep. I I've never once talked to an expert and have the go, look, it's really easy. Never. <laughs> none of the experts think it's easy, which tell me this
1: is work. And it's gonna be invigorating and pleasant and feel good once you get it. I, I promise you that. I mean, that I can say is when you have agency, when you feel like you're making your own decisions, when you feel like you know who to be around, what to be listening to, you know, should I be reading instead of watching the news? Should I be talking to this person when I'm not feeling well? Cause I think I trust their views on medicine. Um, you know, once you get that, it feels good. If you, your whole body feels more alive and relaxed and calm, even when you have to face something stressful. But when you're in that panic mode and we're being thrown into this panic mode more and more, we realized, Paul and I, that we weren't just hearing people in our work streams talk about anxiety. Anxiety has been climbing. It's in epidemic levels anyways in the United States compared to most other countries. Why is another discussion. But um, that being said, people just are so stressed, they can't really think clearly or for themselves and they're generating a lot of their own problems. Um, but we found that if if these people could slow it down, if these people could get to the right other people, if these people could open up into different viewpoints, um, they were somehow protected against all of the stress and anxiety that's happening. Otherwise they're overwhelmed. And that was the word we're hearing more and more and more. Paul and I were hearing I'm overwhelmed. I'm just overwhelmed. And that's different from anxiety. Anxiety is an emotion. It's a feeling. It's I worry. I ruminate. I have angst. I obsess. I'm afraid of this or that. I have a panic attack. That's different. This type of thing is I'm literally shut down. I literally can't function. And we're hearing that more and more over the last couple of years and realized, ah, you know what? This is more biological. This is about too much adrenaline and cortisol people's systems. They've got that revved up. Yeah. But part of this that, that I relate to being a
0: business owner and not just, not just, you know, because we've been talking so much of families. So I want to kind of translate this. And if I have any skill whatsoever, this will lead us right into the next point. (laughs) But I notice that employees react to the environment only from their slice of the pie, right? They can only see the part that they're involved with. Right. The the marketing department thinks that the whole company is what the marketing department is seeing, whereas the medical department, whereas the the direct care staff, whereas this manager, they're seeing the and it's not until the leadership team is able to take a look at the entire pie that they understand why the decisions that are being made are being made. So they'll complain about decisions and negativity and toxicity will uh, begin to emerge if they're only allowed to see it from one aspect. And so to say, I say, well, I don't like this decision. Like we, we don't, well, here's here's an example. Uh, we're, we're looking at building a Frisbee golf course for the kids, but we're going to start with three. And people are going, that's not a Frisbee golf course. Like this doesn't make sense. Either let's do it or let's not do it. And when you look at the finances, especially in the environment we're in right now, we're trying to be careful and cautious and expand. And so there's a re- so there's more to it than just we should have a full one. So when the children are reacting, when the teenagers and their behavior starts to get risky, they don't have the capacity to look at the entire family unit as a full pie. They're only experiencing their portion of this pie. So that makes
1: sense that positioning yourself as a learner, you just get to see more. Yeah. And I would also say when you go to position yourself as a learner, we talk about this in the book, you you, you create your own board of advisors. Think about the three, four, five people what they're good at that you can go to when you're you're in a crisis or you're struggling to make a decision. Uh, I'm going to now move us to the fifth one. Yeah, because do you touched on it? Yeah, <laughs> yes, I did don't. it. <laughs> um, people are so highly specialized today, and they work streams, right? You know, they just and that has a lot to do just with their training, and that's the way things are. I know, but it's a lot of it about belief systems. People just sort of, I'm an engineer. I they I think and believe in things like an engineer. And we're finding that our beliefs, particularly when we're stressed, uh, can really mislead us. Um, beliefs tend to be shortcuts. They tend to be approximations of things. We've come to believe, forgive the pun, that we have to follow our beliefs at all costs. Or I have a belief and my belief is as important as anything and I'll fight to the death for it. That's a value. <laughs> it's not a belief. So when we realize that a lot of what we believe actually should adapt or change or evolve as we get new information, we're gonna be better prepared to be able to make better decisions. Parents, when they're stressed, they go to their belief systems, which are shortcuts, and they tend to be highly biased. They're doing it because you're trying to hurt me or I've been a bad parent, or they, they go to these other places that, that have really no logic. So if you can manage your emotions, and keep them down. And you can do an inventory of your beliefs once in a while when you're calm and find out what I believe isn't always true. How can I adapt that and change that so that it's more realistic? Because I'm doing something pretty complicated here. I can't think of anything more complicated than being a parent and raising a human being. I can't, you know, it's a moving target, constantly changing, no two are alike. No manual comes with the baby. So so number 5 is that a belief
0: inventory or is this an evaluation of your current belief system or like creating a fluid one.
1: Yeah, no, it's all of them. Okay. Uh, in that chapter uh, we break it down to know what a belief is from a value. Values are are really long-term, really established. They they come from our families and our culture and, and those tend to be agreed upon across people more than we realize. Beliefs though are these things that are more on the surface that help us Quickly move from point A to point B, point C. Right. Well, you know, I, I'm going to reach for that cereal in the aisle because you know that's the one I tend to do. Right. You know, we're going to be more easily led astray. But listen, we can't think everything out every day. We'd never get through the day. So we use these beliefs to get through the day quicker. When it comes to your kids, when it comes to a big decision, by all means though, you wanna sort of like, yes, do an inventory of your beliefs. Not asking people to throw them out the window, but just air them out once in a while, talk them out with other people, jot them down, writing them down, what are my beliefs? I believe, you can even start with sentences like, in a fair world, I believe something, and, and see what you do. I think moms should this, I think dads should that. The best daughters, blank. The best sons do, the worst sons do. Uh, A teacher should and then fill it in like a sentence completion and people at least like pour out. You'd be surprised how different they are. Those beliefs are unconsciously operating in our own programming, if you will, in our brains. We have to bring that up to the surface and take a look. You know, maybe that belief doesn't always work for me. I've been believing that this kid sitting in this classroom hates me when, in fact, maybe that kid's hungry. Or has a home situation that's negative, so so analyzing our beliefs incredibly incredibly important,
0: and it's amazing because you you really hit on it when you you talked about like that doubling down because at the at that at there's a point in parenting where and and I hear parents say this well in our family we believe in this religion or in our family, we, you know, lying is non-negotiable and they double down on the belief system. And part of the, the true definition of double doubling down is it tends to be a risky double down. It's never just a, well, of course. And the value system that's in place, it becomes so static that you actually can't help your kids. And you just expect them to change, to be more like you when there was, there's no consideration that you deviated from your parents' value system. But through your life experience, you've learned that this is what works and this doesn't work. I'm this way and I believe in these things. And that's therefore why is I, I am successful. And child, you need to change your belief systems to mirror mine and you'll be successful. That's it. And that's all. And that, that rigidity, that, that creating a static belief system does not allow you to learn. The moment you it's it's baby in bathwater, there's not space to go. My kid actually has evidence that what they're doing is getting their needs met. I just don't see it. And if I'm not in a place of learning, and and this is an example I'll use with you that we've we we do with the kids, is that. I, how long have they grown up with the posters in their school that says, don't smoke? Like, like from kindergarten, your teeth go yellow, your clothes smell bad. No one wants to be around you. And by God, there's cancer. Don't do it. And then all of a sudden, the kids start smoking in, in junior high and high school. And the parents are like, "What? I don't smoke. You don't smoke. We don't smoke. The system says don't smoke. We ask the kids why they smoke. They go, well, I get to take a break from my life. I go hang out with my friends and I go outside. If I'm your therapist and you're telling me you got stress, I'm going to say, take a break from things that are struggling, uh, that you're struggling with, go outside and start connecting with your friends. And you know what? Here's an exercise, breathe deep. And I just described smoking. (laughs) And so we don't, if we don't step out of our own belief system or if we don't evaluate or like you said, do that inventory, where quite frankly, if parents answer those questions, a good child should you're going to see the shallow nature of your belief system and because it's that word should that's really the poison of the
1: situation i love the way that you were describing that and i could even hear in your voice and and your mannerisms uh how you would literally do it uh you know with kids um and it was so logical and it was it was empathetic and it was it allows me if i'm the child to be like okay This person isn't just imposing something on me and just making it this overly simplistic thing. Why would I trust that? As an adult, I wouldn't trust someone who does that with me. But you gave me the space to actually think a little bit more for myself so that I realized, yeah, yeah, this is a logical thing. You're logical. I'm feeling calm or listening to you. Also, if we're that sort of dictatorial with kids, right, what are we modeling for them? Right. Yeah. You know, it's just just like, like, is that really what you hope they get from your parenting example? Like you're not showing them the complexities of the world. You're not also helping them to figure out how do I use my own critical thinking, my own mind, my own beliefs to navigate myself successfully from here on out.
0: Yeah. All right, we got six and seven and I'm dying to hear them. <laughs>
1: Um, These go very, very well together. Uh, So it's nice that you again put them together six and seven. (laughs) Um, This is sort of where everything comes together. If you think about it through this, through the uh, first couple that we've done, particularly the first three, you've controlled what goes into your mind, the stimulation. You're clearing out your mind, you're not like filling it with junk. Number two, you're like with people that you can associate with and they're not like overstimulating you. In fact, they're supportive. Your behaviors are better and all that. Number three, you're keeping your body healthy. You're getting good nutrition. You're getting outdoor time. So the system is in top shape to be able to then make good decisions. But before you do, open up the world, understand it, go to the best sources you can find that's positioning yourself as a learner. Control those emotions and beliefs. Now it's time, now it's time to actually make decisions. There's actually two parts of it. One is trusting your intuition, which is your deeper wisdom, learning what intuition is and using it effectively, not letting it mislead you, and then deliberating the act, which is the final one. So we put those two together. They're separate chapters in the book, but they go nicely together. Uh, with the check your intuition, which is the sixth one, It's about what are the ways in which we can keep our mind calm, maybe move off to the side, do something else and allow the deeper parts of our mind to give an assessment of something and it'll rise to the surface all on its own. If we're frenetic we're hurried, we're trying too hard, often we don't listen to the intuitive signals coming with us. The most obvious ones are you could be near someone who's really not healthy for you. And yet you keep overriding it, you keep making excuses for it, you keep staying close to them. I mean, I know of situations of young women in some of the work I've done where they've told me, looking back, you know, I was on these first dates and I knew that this guy was a creep. It just, I, I, I was having visceral reactions, but I said, oh, you know what? This is a first time thing, you never know, you shouldn't judge people. They were ignoring their actual biological reactions. So in the book we talk about really, if you let go, and get yourself calm. You can learn how to listen to these really amazing assessments that come up from deep within you. Business people use these all the time. They call it strategic intuition. It's different or expert intuition is another one, but don't let it mislead you. We call it check your intuition because you check in with it, but you keep it in check. Meaning that, you know, you don't want to be like, oh, impulse, jump, (laughs) you know, well, I had an intuition. So I just thought I would just buy that house. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) That's not real intuition. You want to like be calm. And the last one, deliberate the knack real quickly. This is one where we talk about frameworks and we interviewed really senior expert decision makers, you know, senior detectives, people who work in intelligence units, um, you know, lawyers who have to make a lot of decision judges, um, um, a lot of, um, Medical experts who like on the fly have to come up like in an emergency room, for example, and make quick decisions. We wanted to know what's their secret sauce like, you know, obviously they're bright people, but you know what? They all said the same thing, which was they use a system or a framework. And when you broke it down, it wasn't that complex. They listened as much as they could. They gave themselves as much time to make decisions as possible. They never rushed a decision. I talked to some of the police officers and they're like, yeah, when you can, you still make time no matter what, try to find a way to make time. If it means you got a break from something and then go back in before you knock on that door, take that extra little mini moment. So they always made time. They always put themselves when they wanted to deliberate into quiet spaces. They had favorite spots they went to. They also knew who to go to when they were kind of stuck. And then they did the intuition part, which was, I'm going to sleep on it. I'm going to take a run. You know what? I'm going to take a walk. I'm going to give myself permission not to think of it. And let's see how my decision is in an hour, something like that. They use these and they, and they, and they come up statistically speaking with more accurate or better decisions, which then is the pinnacle of agency and allows them to move forward in their life in a more positive way.
0: I, I where I, I love that you said it. I love that you address it because where parents throw this ta- tactic, this technique away is when they say, I don't have time to take a walk. I don't have time. I don't have time. And you said, you, you can also do a mini moment. If everything else is in play, that mini moment can be enough. But but the practice of what we're talking about is the hard work, not the remembering this in the moment that your child is just they've not the cops have knocked on the door, but that that you've practiced the system, and that's the hard work. That's the part that people forget. We're wrapping we're wrapping around the end here. Let's make sure everybody's got a way to contact you. This was freaking brilliant. How so? I've got powerofagency.com, and I'm assuming you've got the big five socials. Can can you give people directions to them?
1: Uh, we've got uh, you know a Facebook. Everything is on there. I have a Twitter. Um, I have uh, I think it's at dr. Anthony Rayo. Uh, the same for our Facebook. We're sharing it dr. Anthony Rayo. and um, we're on LinkedIn. Uh, you can get to us, uh, Paul and I. You can get to our uh, all of our contact information. When you come on the site, you're going to see that there's a new section just for sort of what's happening now with COVID. If you're interested in sort of resources for that, but then you can learn more about agency. You can do some, you know, printable examples, uh, sort of simple pictures to remind you of the seven practices. That's what's helping people the most, which is here are like seven simple looking little graphics of each of the seven things we just talked about. Am I doing one or two of them a little more each day? That's really all you have to do. Um, There's an example that is based on what we have in the book of a simple inventory that at least shows how you're doing with control stimuli to start. So I would send people to the website powerofagency.com.
0: And I, and I'm, I'm hoping to God, this is true. And I didn't, and I don't box you in the quarter. I'm assuming because your presentation skills are phenomenal. I'm assuming you guys got some videos up on YouTube that people can go right now, get more stimulus from you guys.
1: Yes. I'd go right again. We've got them all up, uh, or the main ones are right up on uh, the main website. Okay. Yeah. And the main website
0: yeah. is powerofagency.com, powerofagency.com. Yes.
1: Yes. You got it.
0: Perfect. And the book, the power of agency, you guys have been out for a year. How's it going? How's the book doing? It's
1: it's going great. We're doing really well in the audible too. I think people, you know, it's hard for people to sit and read a book. Although we love this idea. We want people to do more analog. We talk about it all in the book, more analog over digital, if possible. But listening is really super powerful. You I got know, some, you know, I got super some powerful. It's,
0: it's fantastic. Like I said, this is, this is one of the best forums I have ever had to help parents. Uh, this is, this is the untapped or I'm sorry, the unregulated press still right here is with podcasting and uh, audible. I've got some audible credits. You're my next download. Cause we're about to get in the RV tomorrow morning and take off again. So the, that's what book I can't Where wait to get it.
1: to it. Let me know. Let me know what you think.
0: Oh, I absolutely will. I'd love to have you back on in the future to keep this yep. going. Um, this, this was fantastic. I want to, I want to, first of all, say thank you for doing this with our, with our parents, with our families who are struggling. This was a lot of support. This was amazing. And just thanks for taking time out of the day to, to reach out to my families, doctor. I appreciate you.
1: Oh, it was a real pleasure. I'm glad you're out there too. It's uh you know, we're all going to do it. We're going to do it together.
0: Uh, folks, uh, Dr. Rao, uh, Anthony Rayo uh, I heard him call himself Tony earlier, but we'll call him Anthony to be polite. Uh, Dr. Uh, Anthony Rayo and Paul Knapper, they wrote The Power of Agency. It is available on Audible and at Amazon, The Power of Agency. And you can go to thepowerofagency.com. Uh, control stimulus, uh, associate selectively, move your body, position yourself as a learner, Belief inventory, check your inventory, control these emotions, check your intuition, uh, and then deliberate and act. Those are the seven steps to develop the power of agency. Brilliant, it's so applicable, not only in our families, but in our businesses, and especially this concept that we talked about in the beginning of running the business of your family. Be the executive director of your family, not one of the employees who's in reaction to the decisions dictator is meek. I truly believe dictators only make their decisions from a fear based of losing control of the system. But that's an emotional experience. Parents, you take care of yourselves first. You do this work yourself. Do not expect children to Do this without a living, breathing example of this happening and working, which means you commit to this work, commit to that taking care of yourself at the 99% of your day so that when the cops knock on the door, when the phone rings, it's a habit take care of yourself first, you take care of your adult relationships second, you take care of your children third, because in that way we do our best work with our children. If you think your child might need residential treatment, please call us at 303-443-3343 or go to FireMountainPrograms.com. You can always email me at Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, at FireMountainPrograms.com to just ask questions. If you would like to explore one-on-one coaching with me, go to firemountainprograms.com slash coaching, and you will see my price structure and see the different packages I offer. I do have limited space available, so please get there quickly to firemountainprograms.com slash coaching, and let's see if coaching is what you need or if treatment is what your family needs. We're in at every level. Folks, thank you very much for joining me at Beyond Risk and Back. Thanks again to Dr. Rao and thepowerofagency.com. We will talk to you guys next week.